the future of photography. Uh, wonderful good morning to everyone here um, on the recording side and good whatever time of the day it is for you out there. This is another episode of The Future of Photography. My name is Chris Marquardt and with me are Adrian. Good morning. Hey there, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And Jeremiah again. Hey, Jeremiah. Hi, how are you? Um, and good evening or night where I am. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing this over, over not, not just different time zones, but uh, over the date boundaries. So uh, it's another day where you are, Jeremiah. You're on the West Coast. In the yes, and you're in the future, which and is I'm perfect. in the future, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's why we call it that way. It's going to work out well. <laughs> so this is the first episode that the three of us are getting in, and uh, hooray for that, after we figured out all the audio <laughs> stuff and everything. And uh, yeah, so this is another manifestation of the changes that we are making here at, at this show. Uh, as we mentioned in our little small little episode in between episode uh we are also making another change which is getting imar on board she is in ireland so <clears throat> we are adding a third time zone into this no actually we're not because she's in the same time zone as you are adrian yeah but that would still be i oh, know we already have three don't we because we have me you and jeremiah yeah so, yes, so no. we're three with three time zones <laughs> Yeah, though, though it's always hard to know what time zone Ireland is really in. <laughs> Do they get another, another, their own time zone after Brexit? Well, it's a psychic time zone. <laughs> very, very specific and poetic. Looking forward. Uh, anyway, it still more people will make scheduling even stranger for us. But it, yeah, again, we have now we we we'll have the setup of having multiple different combinations between people recording here which I think will make this quite interesting. But she, she will come on uh, in, I'd say, probably a couple of weeks from now. So uh, in the meantime, it's the three of us, and we uh, have a topic that, Jeremiah, you suggested, which... Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, just, just uh, take over and let us know what, what you, what you well, want to talk about. I thought... Uh, at this moment in time, when so much of what we are able to order is custom-made or bespoke, whether it's you order a car and you get whatever trim, seats, engine, color, etc. that you want, a suit of clothes, uh, and in many cases um, with Etsy and all of those things, you can order whatever objects you desire. In a bespoke way, I thought, what would a bespoke camera look like? What would we order if we could order the camera of our dreams? Um, I, I like I that we idea. Could, yeah, we could, <laughs> and me too. I thought one could be if price was no object. And the other version of it is what would we do if we had some kind of budget anticipating the kinds of uh, resources that the audience may have. Um, in some cases, we know that, and, and uh, both of you have talked about those kind of Franken cameras that are emerging. I have an old one from years and years and years ago. It's a four by five that was 
adapted from an old Polaroid for mm. kind of single shot street shooting, and it, it's just a marvel. I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, and I mean that goes. I bought this, a lo or I had it done many, 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 many years ago, but it just started to kind of provoke a little thinking about, well, what's the camera of the future look like, and couple that with, what would the camera of the future be for us? <sighs> so, <clears throat> let, let let me let me give this a shot. So. Uh, I, There, there are two ways to go about this. Um, for me, when I when I get a new camera into my hands, and the first one is, of course, um, there's always a bit of adaptation from both sides, right? The camera is the one side that I will have to adapt to because it will do certain things just in specific ways. Um, and then I might be able to configure the camera in a way that it adapts to what I need or what I expect. And of course, those expectations and needs are... Uh, shaped and formed by years and years of using cameras. So um, I have to take myself into account here because I, yeah, I'm a photographer who has used all sorts of different cameras over the years. Um, and that adaptation I've already kind of done with like the, my, my bread and butter setup is a 5D Mark IV big DSLR and a 7D Mark II, which is also a big DSLR. And then those are similar enough to be able to quickly switch between them. But I had to both configure both of them in a way that they are as close as possible to each other in usage so um, that I can switch back and forth. So I kind of adapted stuff. But then, of course, a bespoke camera means... Uh, Uh, I can make a few wishes. So one wish would be this, for this whole thing to be smaller. Um, but I'm a tech head uh, deep inside, so I still want a big sensor. So we're talking something along the lines of full frame or even bigger. Um, I like the way that uh, a lot of stuff is handled kind of magically right in a smartphone. But there are corner cases where I'd love to be able to configure that computational photography aspect a bit more. So I want some some way to open the hood and dig in the in the in the, in the bowels of the thing and and give it some nudges in the right direction. And of course, it needs easy connectivity. Um, so it's not the smartphone because it doesn't tick all those boxes. Um, the one that I've been eyeing <laughs> is the Zeiss Z1 that is still not on the market, but that's the all integrated with, uh, with editing Lightroom on board and connectivity. But I guess it would be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take the small box and it wouldn't take the configurability box. So yeah, I, Uh, th I yeah. think that that, that will be know, my, my my first off the cuff shot. Right. So you're thinking that an ideal camera would be one that you could more or less adapt an existing camera or camera system to your output needs. Yes. But would there be a camera in your mind that starts from your output needs and delivers Uh, the controls or technology, software, etc., the AI that you may want, uh, what kind of lenses? 
how fast? For example, would a single lens that was, forget about 0 0.95, 0 0.50, something that would almost turn night into day, but remain very sharp at every stop, or not use glass at all, be the best kind of capture mm -hmm. uh, system for what you need you know the, the thing the thing is i'm probably i'm 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 probably the worst person to ask that because my needs are so different from many others because i do not just go out and do photography i teach photography so ideally i need something that is close to what what my students use and well that makes sense so 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 i i have i have like a 50 different needs um, the par partially, when I'm out on a photo tour, I need the, I need to shoot people, landscapes, fast moving things, slow things, macros, and then I teach. So, so it, I need this. I need. To, I pretty much need a ball of putty that I can shape the way I need it right now. That's going to be quite challenging, isn't it, to do uh, <laughs> teaching? To do, to, well, okay, all right. So that's a dumb thing to say, but it's going to be quite challenging to do teaching when everybody's technology is different. I mean, yeah, the, oh, one of the the, the one-to-many teaching model is far more effective when I everybody has similar equipment. Isn't I it? see this. I just spent the weekend holding a workshop, and you know, six seven years ago, it was Canon and Nikon. You know, it was just two two brands, pretty much. And now everyone, almost everyone has a different brand, a different type of camera, different sensor size, different. The, the landscape has diversified so much that uh, it, it's becoming more difficult in some respects. But again, I mean, we, we, are, we are doing the moonshot here. So, um, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, ideally, ideally, uh, just to get the photos I want, I'd, I'd, do, I'd be in an AR sort of rig. I had a, I'd have AR goggles on, and then I'd just pull up my fingers the way, uh, the way uh, a director does. You know, I pull up my fingers and make a square or a rectangle and go and blink my left eye, and then it takes the photo. Now you're talking about yeah, that. I mean, this, yeah. this is the moonshot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but there could be, like, I like you. Um, I, I use all manner of cameras and have. I, I do have my, my go-tos are uh, Leica. Um, I have a monochrome and I have an M6. So I use both of those. Uh, but I also use my Hasselblad 500CM, a very classic camera. I have several lenses for it. And this all came when Hasselblad recently announced that they were going to, and they have, introduced a back that was... Which is backwards tiny. compatible. It's tiny. Yeah. Backwards compatible to every single camera they've manufactured since 1957. No lens required, no body required. It's just the back, the film back. Um, it's not quite a square, but it's, I think it's a 645 size sensor. But that is amazing. For someone like me, provided it's reasonably affordable. I mean, I could guess at the price because of the X1D prices. I th it's the same chip, I think, in a different package. But to be able to use my Hasselblad electronically, uh, capture that kind of quality with those kinds of lenses, uh, that's really ideal for me. But I don't want to be walking around with that because it's heavy. So, you know, I'd like a camera that was both 
big for landscapes and small for street. Something that could adapt to all manner of sharpness in terms of the capture chip, um, whether it would be massive or rough, because both both aesthetics are appealing to me. Um, cameras seem to have a lot of different kinds of controls, uh, but they actually have the same kind of system, whether it's a menu system that we who use a lot of cameras are familiar with. So what kind of controls would you like on your camera? Uh, is, is a glass lens necessary? <laughs> you know, can we just, you know, shoot polygons and reflect that back and recreate uh, our environments with, you know, unnatural light, which is something that you know, I, I think try to do. I, I think I, I do. I, okay, so this is difficult. I mean, if we take all all the, the limitations off here, just in our minds, um, I'd probably, I mean, I, I, I like the photography I do, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Um, I have uh, established a bit of a style of how I do things, and I'm happy with that mostly, but I want, want to evolve. But then I guess I'd, I'd probably have to have a system that is intuitive, that has intuition of what I want. And so I'd probably have to like throw, throw my entire photo catalog at, uh, at, at some AI that will learn what I need personally, just me with acknowledging the danger that that would then lead to more of the same and stop me from evolving. So it's a fine line there. Or replace you completely. Or replace me completely, which would probably not be that satisfying. <laughs> no, but you're a musician, good, no. right, Chris? At the, uh, as well, aren't you? I'll go so, back to so, music. Yeah. So, you're, but you have the, no. Well, well, you could do that. But I was going to draw a parallel with the music thing because you know often musicians will have a set of of, of presets. So you know, and, and whether you're, you're live gigging and you've got those that, you know assigned to foot pedals, or whether you know you're doing something in a studio and it's being done you know by somebody else for you, you know you can switch. You can stand there playing the same instrument but switch it between modes. You know, so you could have your Canon 5D whatever mode, and you could have your Holger mode, and you could have your 8 by 10 mode. <laughs> you know, and 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 the, the bespoke camera. I mean, it, I think I believe it's probably a bit of a dangerous idea because it will lead to um, more of the same, and it will all. It it has the, the potential to lead to to me stopping evolving because one way that one thing that moves me forward is by putting myself into situations with different cameras and different photographic situations that might not be as convenient. Uh, when I'm out with a 4x5, yeah, I might shoot three shots and I'll have to really think hard about each of one, uh, each of them. And um, in the moment, that might not be a very convenient situation, but I end up growing doing that. So that's another. That's, so I'll so jump I need in that challenge, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there if I may, because I think I've got that when I was when I was thinking about what does a bespoke camera look like for me? Um, yeah, for me, a lot of it's about simplicity. So, you know, there are um, there, there, there are lots of buttons on modern cameras. <laughs> and and uh well except of course that on, on a smartphone there are very few buttons but uh, the you know i want i i prefer if, it, if it's a dedicated camera and i think you know let 
a bespoke camera for me would probably have some of the connectivity benefits but also be it would be a dedicated unit for me a lot of it is about the ergonomics of it how is it to use how how is it that it gets out of the way if you like so that you can focus on the creative side so uh i'd like something um maybe that where where you can change the focus afterwards or or, or that the focus is instantaneous right so but you, you you remember just a few episodes ago when we talked about the workflow and uh, how you have these two worlds now where the cloud does everything for you, the selection, the surfacing of your good photos or your seemingly good photos, um, where I had the argument for I need that workflow because it forces me to deal with my photos, to go go back and, and surround myself with the photos. And so we, we have these two approaches. The one is the convenience approach, the make it easy for me approach, but that will likely have a, a, a f- unintended consequences. Let, let me kind of back into another question, which I guess informs the kind of bespoke camera aspirational, you know, uh, uh, of this conversation, which is uh, like music, obviously a, a pretty good comparison would be, uh, you know, many years ago, uh, there was a lot of distortion. You know, we all understand what that is, whether it would be in the recording or the playback. And as recording, whether it's microphone, software, tape, which became digital, all of those input devices cleaned up, cleaned up. And the output devices, whether they be, you know, I remember those little audio hard disks, you know, little I forget what they were. They're digital discs. The, uh, the mini disc. Yeah, the mini disc yeah. all the way now to, you know, pure ones and zero streaming. We've pretty well eliminated distortion as something that is uh, relevant in the conversation. And then software kind of took over with EQ so we can adjust the EQ to suit our own ears environment to make that right. And in you know, our visual photography, at what point do our eyes not understand that something is even sharper? I mean, is it 8K, 11K, 20K? What is the point, whether it's a a print or a screen, wherein it feels like we're looking through a window or even sharper? Um, uh, you know, you know, if you're on the Silk Road where you just were, it, it's very, very sharp there because the, the air is so clear. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's noticeable. You think like, wow, did I just clean my glasses? Yeah. It's that sharp. Um, but at a certain point, things can't be sharper for our eyes our bodies our the the way the brain understands <laughs> our bodies are are kind of on on the on the other trajectory so yes, it exactly. really, at one point doesn't right. really matter how sharp it is because you can't see it anyway that, that's kind of where i'm going with this so at what point at what point do can we just say oh the chip that we want is just maxed out i mean i i want a chip in my camera digital chip that will record at the greatest sharpness that my body can understand if I blew it up to a enormous size. So I would like that because then I would like to be able to aesthetically control 
backing it down to 8-bit if I so choose, or all the way up to, you know, the the 8x10 emulation of a great print. So instead of carrying multiple units, I would like that in one camera. On the other hand, I don't think I want to drag around, you know, a quinterabyte of hard drives to process such a big well, uh, output. If if you uh, make these assumptions on a camera, you could also make the same assumptions on uh, on the storage, which would then just be that's it on exactly. on, a, on a fingernail sized little thing or somewhere right. in the cloud. Yeah, know. and that I want that too. And I want my network to be lightning blazing because that also works like that. And I want my glass on the front of the camera, if indeed it is glass, to be the fastest. And then I can control how much light. Uh, I'd like all the mechanics uh, to be, I'm with you, Adrian, I like super simplicity. It's why I still love working with uh, and shooting with uh, Leicas because it just feels very uh, intuitive but and simple to me. Let me ask you because uh, uh, if you shoot with the Leica and mm. the, it, it, the Leicas are great at surfacing the three major parameters when it comes to exposing a shot, right? Yeah. You have the, yeah. the ISO, yeah. the shutter yeah. speed, and the aperture, and that's pretty much yeah. it. And it, so it, it reduces photography to what where it pretty much needs to be <laughs> yeah no, you Look, don't really take. need the other stuff it, it's helpful sometimes but you don't really need it but uh, of course this assumes that you as a photographer have all those skills that you have spent years of um, understanding that um, or or you or or is it you you switch it onto fully automated mode at automatic mode and let the camera make assumptions over what you yeah. want well, I've never, I, I, I've never done that. I don't do that. Um, I, you know, I, I like to control that aspect. And that of control the aspect is what makes it difficult for me because uh, the the idea of the bespoke camera that does everything for me. Again, I would have to have this trained on me because I'm different from everyone else hopefully <laughs> are, are you it's, isn't everybody going to say they're different from everybody of else course, though? And, and it's not and it's just blatantly not true for for me the the idea of having to read a menu about what i need to take a picture takes me out of the moment of appreciation of that moment of of kind of the photographic moment or the decisive moment or whatever you want to call it. We, we can uh, get rid of that too, by the way, because <laughs> there are now already photographers who use video, high high pixel density oh, yeah. video, and, and you do not have that click anymore, but you go through the, through the five true. seconds you shot later and just pick the right, right photo, which is horrible well, for the model because they never know when the shot is in the can. Yeah, I'm uh, having originated as a fashion photographer. I I, I feel that the, you need the click, right? <laughs> you need the click. Yeah. You need that moment where you're both matching the energy at one time, and you recognize it. Yeah, and there's a kind of jazz in there uh, somewhere. So, so um, that bespoke camera needs it needs a click. Yeah, it need it does need a click or. Or does it? Or no, can it, it be turned on and off, right? In other words, is there a silent mode? My, you know, my Leica monochrome has a silent mode, which is kind of odd. It, it, it has a silent click, but when you remove your finger from the uh, shutter button, 
then it, quote, advances the film or cocks the, the shutter again. So you can kind of take a picture and then and the throw wait. the camera under, under your blankets. Well, it, it was, <laughs> in your coat. Wasn't that, wasn't that just, just a couple of days ago when the, when the presidential debates were, and the photographers were too loud for the producers. So they said, you can, <laughs> you can only shoot. I mean, there's this barrage of press photographers and, yeah. uh, and then, and they were, they were told you can only shoot if, uh, during applause. And of course, that is a no-no for a photographer. And then the ones who had cameras that had a silent mode were in a, had a big advantage there. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> case in point. <laughs> But they, those are not the photographers that are working for Vogue currently. <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> Um, okay, can I can so, I jump in here a bit? This is a really interesting please. conversation, um, uh, and but it's going totally away from what I think of as a bespoke camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we have probably opened up uh, at least at least three different new episodes in the last ten minutes. Well, maybe maybe we have maybe we have, and there's some of the stuff that you guys are talking about, which I think I would find useful, but. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff for me which there's a lot of talk about tech and and slightly less talk about aesthetic there's some talk about the aesthetic but the you know what yeah wouldn't a bespoke camera for me would be one that allows me to use whatever lens i like right but then but then makes it easy so so yes i have one of my favorite lenses is my bronica 75 mil lens right it, it, uh, i just love it and i have a a two-stage adapter to put it on my fuji digital camera because i think the first stage adapts the bronica mount to the to a canon mount of some description i don't know which one i guess it's whatever is a modern canon mount um and then from the canon mount to uh the fuji um Uh, but that that then gives me the ability to shoot with that lens, which is great. Um, and or, although it is, of course, manual focus and, and things like that. Um, so if I was to have a, a dream camera, it would be able to use all of those um, all, all of those lenses that I love on any camera, but also uh, be able to make the the focusing seamless and, and the ergonomics of that seamless. So and, you're and talking then I, about then I have a universal a universal uh, lens adaptation system that all lens manufacturers have to adhere to. <laughs> In other words, you make a lens, it's got to fit on every camera. Well, that's an interesting thought, Jeremiah, because, you know, I mean, you, know, you, you would know this, of course, way better than me, but in, in the, the making of, of movies and, and television, I mean, there are some mounts that are relatively, yeah. if not universal, relatively common, aren't there? Yes, the PL mount, sure. It's a... Uh, That is common because the selection of glass for cinematographers, and this is another topic for another day, but when one chooses not just focal length, uh, not just f-stop, uh, not just uh, zoom versus prime, but the actual quality of the glass itself is very much in the discussions that I have had with my cinematographers Uh, and we've tested, you know, a lot of different kinds of quality of sharpness, butteriness, skin tone, you know, crispness, uh, contrast. All of those things are um, aesthetic choices that you make. And with, cine, you know, cine lenses, they tend to be able to be adapted for all cameras. 
See, I like that. That that works for me. I, I you know, so uh, that, but that's, then, that, but that's then this will be a huge and heavy lens again. I'm really torn about this topic. <laughs> but they have to be light. But they have to be light. <laughs> they have to be light and not take up any space. So that's it. And I be think, super fast. And I think to to make pocket. this a discussion that we all kind of get something out of, we have to define some boundaries that we some boundary. But then that is kind of against what we want to discuss. So, hey, this is, uh, well, Jeremiah, is it, is it? what a curveball you've thrown us <laughs> <here>. <laughs> I, I, I think that the point, and I'll, I won't bury the headline, is there is no ideal camera. There is Very no <laughs> great bespoke camera. The, the camera that you have with you that you know how to use at that moment is the best camera you've ever had. So um, we all look at our gear, and I trust that we three are are uh, inspired by new gear in some ways that that you take a, a new camera out and there is this kind of urge to use it right to shoot with it to push it and try it and and that often will inspire one to do something today I took the uh, M6 and some pan F and I haven't shot that for at least 10 years. Uh-huh. Out just to test this lens that I was using, and and it, the work that I did or the shots that I made today, which who knows if they're, they'll be kind of worth talking about in a week or so. But in my mind, they're very different than anything I would have done, say, with the digital monochrome. Probably wouldn't have shot those shots, but the film nature, knowing that I was shooting film. Um, changed my approach to the subject. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the the input that I'm always looking for when shooting with a different camera when coming from a different. Yeah. Uh, so can from, we from agree on technology. something? Of course we can. <laughs> <laughs> what would that be? Uh, I, I, I think that there probably isn't a bespoke camera, but there may be bespoke controls which to a certain degree, we do that when we manage our system and, you know, uh, uh, adapt our kind of function buttons to that. But if you could have the controls so that they are intuitive for you on most of your cameras, um, that's something that would be, you know, I, I think very, very beneficial that I know where the You know, the focusing ring is, it's always in the same place. I know where the uh, the speed is, it's always in the same place. I, I like that because when I'm in the moment, it's the fastest way to get from the appreciation of the moment to actually capturing the picture. You know, focus is another thing we, could, we can discuss. Is there an advantage? to actually slowing down and focusing? Uh, or is the instant focus the thing that is critical and select the focus later? Um, those are things that are kind of interesting for... I don't think I've ever met a photographer who didn't want both. Uh, <laughs> and and for, for me... Um, I think with the setup that I have and that I've that I've internalized and and know really well, I am as close to that bespoke camera right now as I can ever be. I guess. 
Now that's oh, an interesting well, thought, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Because that's good. I'm I'm far. Well, and and of course, of course, this comes in phases, right? You you um, you get to a point, and I've been there several times. I get to a point where I thought, oh yeah, I've got it now, and that was true for a certain while, and then new developments happen, and then I I get thrown out of that and go, oh oh, oh no, I oh, know I have to rejigger everything and get to the point where I'm happy with it again. So yeah. it comes in; it's a zigzagging sawtooth kind of thing happening. Adrian, do you think that Zeiss uh, ZX1, whatever they they are uh, putting the moniker on, that has not yet been, um, you know, avail it's not available yet, but it certainly uh, looks amazing because it runs Lightroom inside. Um, that looks like a very interesting camera to me in terms of its kind of ergonomics and all the rest of it. But what frightens me is having all the pictures on one SSD that's internal, <laughs> should anything go wrong and you are out there, well, then you need uh, a gnarl box or something that you're outputting constantly. <laughs> so you're adding to that. You know, what is the built-in backup? Is it on network when you're obviously in, you know? In, yeah, in, I, you I'm not. I don't know. I th I think in some ways that that Zeiss camera for me personally would would be the worst of all worlds because <laughs> right? it's going to be big and heavy. Um, it, it's going to lock True. you into a tool set, um, a tool set by the way which I don't use. So I, I don't use Adobe tools. So all of that stuff is 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 actually a distraction. It's not even irrelevant. It, it, it's actually the wrong stuff. Hmm. Um, and so as good as a camera it might be. Um, it does feel like being locked in and re and so but but in a way i don't know it's it i don't think it's a lock-in in a way that enhances creativity so i like a lock-in that makes me think right so so let's let's say that's my lamography instant square camera which i've been shooting uh, a, a bit more recently um it's always I, I like to shoot instant film in the summer in the uk um so yeah so it's, there's finally enough light for it. There's finally ASA. enough light for it. Yes, yes. And we always say that's this, this my other podcast, Sunny 16. We always say that's a really bad name for a show in the UK. <laughs> it should have best be called Sunny 11. But um, <laughs> the, 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 the thing that I, I the, the, the Zeiss camera for me is sort of locking you into a, to a way, a, a workflow and a, and a way of handling data and a tool set I don't use. Whilst also, I suspect the camera is fairly big and heavy. Um, you know, I in in that sort of fixed lens range, I'd be far more likely to go for uh, a Fuji, um, uh, which, which is a brand I have some affinity with anyway, because I, I shoot Fujis. But you know, they 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 seem to be. I, I don't mind swapping out uh, an SD card. I don't mind um, having either a, a laptop or an iPad or a phone where I ingest my photos from a card into that. I don't I don't feel the need to get them up into the cloud and there's occasionally you know where, perhaps when i'm doing a an in the moment shot like maybe at a family party where i think oh, i would be nice to be able to post that straight away but that's not for the the what i would call my my enthusiast my hobbyist photography where I, i'm trying to be a bit more mindful and a bit more intentional so uh yeah yeah that 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 one doesn't work for me but if you could give me you know the uh, the viewfinder from a medium format camera 
um, yeah, a, a good uh, a choice of lenses uh, across all different manufacturers and what have you. And then, um, you know, some level of ergonomics that allow me to operate all of that. I think I think that's my camera. <laughs> Um, so you, are you really saying that you're not going to be the new Zeiss ambassador? <laughs> I'm, I, do, do you know what? I think that email must have got captured in my spam forces. Um, <laughs> Can I ask a question? Uh, because of, I'm, I'm of, sure they've been trying to get in touch, but I haven't received it yet. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question of, from both of you? Um, in terms of uh, output... Uh, in terms of whether it's print or screen, uh, how sharp is necessary? Like, what's the ideal sharpness? And when I say sharpness, it could be uh, the lens and chip combination uh, directed at the end use size uh, and perception of the work. How how much or how fast is fast or how big is big? Well, uh, I mean, that entirely depends on your specific needs or my specific needs. And those yeah, are, yeah, I'm asking you Those guys. are anywhere from a decent print size. I'm not even talking Gursky level of print sizes. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm quite, quite, quite happy with uh, smaller sizes there, but um, something in the A2 size range mm -hmm. and uh, nicely sharp there. That's all I need. But then most of the time... I need this to be to work well on a computer screen on the web. So mm -hmm. much smaller uh, requirements. So yeah, uh, I'm happy to shoot with a 20 megapixel camera these days if I if I have to. Mm, interesting. So I, I have two answers to that question. I think I think if it's a portrait, so you know, uh, uh, then I prefer it to be you know, sharp enough that the person is, is distinct. The subject of my portrait is distinct. Anything else, and I'm I'm not really fussed, to be honest. Um, let's say it's an urban landscape. I'd be quite happy to, to mash those pixels in various different apps and turn them into something that is not not abstract, but, but slightly abstracted. At that point, um, I, I'm less concerned. But if I'm taking a portrait, if I, you know, if I've if I've bothered to to try and take a portrait of somebody, and I've got the lights out and and stuff like that, then I then I like there to be a yeah, I like to be able to to see you know the eyelashes on somebody and and check that their eyes are in focus. Or about having said that, you know, then it after that point, it depends on the output. So if the output is going to be uh, a, a six by four. It, yeah, inch print or or even anything up to I suppose a, 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 an eight by ten inch print. Um, then I'm you know they're, they're, those are fine. Um, uh, I don't do a lot of printing much bigger than that to be honest. Um, I, uh, it's so so I don't need a lot of pixels. Um, really, yeah, not, not very a lot of opposite. Pixels at all. Yeah, it's very opposite to my output, which is generally print. Yeah, you know I do my own printing here. Uh, you know, I use the piezo uh, inks. Um, sharpness is very important because I exhibit my work. So uh, usually museums, galleries, they like big. And, um, you know, I, I like it moderately big, but not huge. But I do, I do like to be able to have a print size that's, you know, 70 
inches across. I think in centimeters, that's a million, but I'm not sure <laughs> of the conversion. But um, the the you know so so sharpness is very important when I'll do that kind of landscape, or in my case, a surreal landscape image. However, uh, a lot of my stuff is degraded. Uh, the digital work that I do to make it purposely seem not sharp, but I want to start with the sharpest, most complete image that I I can capture. Um, so interesting. Th In yeah, yeah, there's interesting. no there's no limit. To, like I would have an eight by ten in my iPhone if I could. <laughs> I've, and and in, interesting uh, observation, I was in uh, Toronto last year and I've seen an exhibition by Bertinsky. Yeah. And yeah. he used to um, shoot the larger f formats on film, um, but he, I don't know when, but he switched to digital. Yeah, just last year or two years ago. And I could clearly see the difference in the exhibition in the photos where he switched to digital. It was so obvious to me yeah. when looking at that because um, they, they, they were, at least some of the photos were clearly artifact-ridden. Um, and it, it made me feel a bit, yeah, a bit sad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, 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 sh I share that sadness with his work too. And he was, as I recall, I spent several years in Toronto and I, I, I remember he, he did his own printing. He had a lab there, uh, as I recall, could be corrected, but his work was just extraordinary. And his big, uh, industrial size landscapes are, their import is how sharp they are, yes. I think. You know, yes. like Gursky, that like you, you, it takes your breath away to see the level of detail and True. color uh, in the on the scale, and to introduce artifacts. I think work against uh, his intention, um, and yet uh, he he could capture. You know, possibly he could he could go to places that he couldn't before with a larger format camera. So possibly by introducing a lighter but not as sharp uh, capture mechanism as camera, he's able to actually show us different kinds of work. But when they are compared in size to his previous one, they suffer. Uh, anyway, how do we how do we do we get here from the bespoke camera? I think I think let's let's, let's try to find a way to wrap this up because we're, right. we're already scratching the forty five minute mark here, which oh is dear, longer oh than dear. any previous episode, I think. Um, so we don't want one. We don't. None of us want a bespoke that's camera. That's exactly the the question I was uh, I was about to ask. I think we cannot ask the what does that mean for the future of photography, um, uh, our usual question, but. Yeah, do we want a bespoke camera or not? I don't think I need one at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I need. I'm not sure I need a bespoke camera. Um, for, for, for one thing, um, if you have a bespoke camera and it breaks, it costs a fortune to get it mended. So I think I, I'm. I'm. I, I like mostly. I like the the direction of travel of camera technology at the moment. Um, uh, although uh, I think probably what I would do is, is I would add some of the 
some of the things that are coming out of the the deeply techie world uh, in into some of the you know from from phones and computational technology and things like that uh, into something that actually handles like a real camera and and can can help you make photographs rather than you know worried about dropping it or or, or you know just not not working ergonomically. So that's where I'd probably end up. I would say by somebody who actually ordered a bespoke camera from Mercury Works, and I wanted a 4x5 camera that would take an insta-wide back with a (laughs) 90mm Schneider lens that I could focus easily. And they built it for me out of plastic, and uh, I've used it once. (laughs) <laughs> so let's let's agree we're we're all enjoying the ride that photography is taking us on and this ride we is do. not over just yet so <laughs> not yet <laughs> i see a lot of new stuff coming up so i think that yeah that's a good conclusion to this episode and we'll be back with another one next week until then thanks everyone bye-bye thank you guys bye-bye bye You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Hold up. 